Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Alex. And Alex is an expert on marketing and financial services. And that is quite important because in financial services, a lot of the people actually are not that great at marketing, but Alex is, and she's going to tell you why is it important and how to get it right. So I'm very curious to hear from her connecting from Miami, Florida. Alex, uh, welcome. How are you today? Hi, Rudy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm envious about your weather. We just talked about it before we uh, hit the, the red button. Let's first explain how did you get to do what you do today? What's your background? Did you study marketing? Did you study finance or both? What led you to what you do? No, actually, I studied neither. The way I came into this field was definitely by happenstance. I studied international relations and diplomacy in undergraduate, and I thought I was going to go be a diplomat and work at the UN. But it turns out that at the time, it was uh, very difficult to get any sort of position at these sort of non-governmental agencies. And they wanted a master's degree in order to come back for an unpaid internship. So I thought, okay, never mind. I need to go work in the private sector and make some money. And I had taken a class in college. It wasn't even a marketing class. It was a class about Chinese culture, of all things. And there was one class where we spent talking about marketing and how product, how beauty products are marketed differently in Asia than to the Americas, which I thought was very interesting. So that's really what kind of set off my initial interest in marketing I graduated university. I moved to New York, as a lot of people do to, to look for work. And unfortunately, I graduated during a financial crisis, the, the financial crisis of 2008. So it was very difficult to find a job, but I me- eventually managed to find a job at a marketing agency. And they did B2B and B2C marketing, n- not financial services, just general. So that's where I really learned about how to handle clients, how to handle branding, how to handle what the process is for marketing and and creating a brand from scratch for a client, creating ad campaigns for clients, that sort of thing. So I got a very experiential education, more so than a traditional education when it came to marketing. And then I left that job and I went to go work at a financial PR firm. And it was interesting because I had no finance experience, but I did have a little bit, I had the marketing experience and a little bit of PR experience as well. And so my introduction to finance has really always been from the communications side. So at this PR firm in New York that I worked at, I represented hedge funds and mutual funds and exchange traded funds and and asset managers across the board. And it was a really interesting way to learn about the space because it was always coming at it from what is the message? What is the value proposition? What is the credibility behind it? How are reporters or how is the world going to perceive this client or, or, or this specific product or service? And then from there, I, I left that agency and I ran uh, marketing and PR for a company called Global X Funds, uh, which is an exchange traded fund issuer in New York. And that's where I really learned how to specialize in a specific kind of investment product, which is exchange traded funds, which brings me to today. And uh, today I run a marketing and PR agency 
that specializes in the asset management space, uh, but specifically focuses on exchange-traded funds and indexes. And we've been in business for about nine years now and really just honing our skills and working with as many clients as possible to give us a breadth of range of experience of different issues, whether it's crisis management, paying attention to the competitive landscape, how to position a product when the market's not doing very well, how to think about investor perception, all, all of these things. So that's where I am today. Well, great stuff. I love marketing. I, I started in consumer goods before I did an MBA. I, I worked in consumer goods companies like Kraft Foods, now called Mondelez, where people think and breathe marketing from the morning until late at night. It's all about marketing in consumer goods. Now, when you come to a bank, it depends in what sort of division you are, because it really depends whether you are in retail banking, consumer, asset management, or investment banking. Sometimes it's about a corporate brand that you're pushing rather than the marketing of individual products that is basically done by the advisors themselves, etc. So marketing in financial services can be quite unique and complex. What were the challenges that you had to face running a company that is at the intersection of marketing and traditional finance or even more asset management, as you mentioned? Yeah, so at at our agency, which is called Aero Financial Communications, because we we specialize in asset management, and as I mentioned, exchange-traded fund and indexes, it's very interesting talking about the different audiences, because you have clients that come to us and say, we want to manufacture, we want to launch product that speaks to the financial advisor, or it speaks to the retail investor, or sometimes the institutional investor. So we get to work with a product that isn't totally consumer, and it's not totally B2B, it's somewhere in between. And and that can present an interesting challenge, because sometimes when we create a campaign for a client, we really have to think about, are there going to be multiple variations to how we market this because of the fact that it could be interesting to a financial advisor, and it could also be interesting to retail. So I wouldn't say that's so much of a challenge, but that is an interesting sort of nuance that makes us think about product marketing maybe a little bit differently. As far as actual challenges, I would say there's definitely a few. One is it's a very, like the pharmaceutical space, it's very highly regulated. So everything that we do has to pass through compliance. And I think if firms that don't have financial marketing experience really see that as a roadblock, Because we have so much experience in this space, we've really taken the compliance aspect and worked it into our creative process to try to overcome that challenge. But it definitely is a challenge because sometimes the best ideas we come up with, we know compliance is not going to approve. So that can be a little bit tricky sometimes. The other challenge I find is sometimes we have to market a product to a retail client that's very hard to understand. And it's really it really is on you know my team to to digest that and to try to make it digestible for the retail investor. And sometimes that's very difficult because with the client who creates the product, the the product development side of it, they may the sales team might want to sell it to a retail investor, but the product itself is quite complex or cumbersome. So that is definitely a challenge we've had to overcome. Although being creative is definitely a, a way to overcome some of those challenges. And then the last challenge I would say is we work in a very crowded space, which is great for business, but it definitely makes it more challenging to cut through the clutter, cut through the noise for our clients. And we really just need to be mindful of the fact that there's a lot of clients launching financial products, whether they're mutual funds or exchange traded funds, and to just be very aware of what the competitive landscape looks like. I see. So great stuff that you touched upon the regulatory aspects, right? This is not an industry where as a 
a fintech, you can behave like uh, some other social media platforms or exactly. accommodation platforms uh, who were just going to new countries and saying, let's just break stuff and see what happens. You just cannot do that in financial services. Now, how does the modern marketing in financial services look like? What is your key focus? Is it uh, PR? Is it uh, digital marketing, I guess? Or is it about SEO, search engine optimization, or all of the above, or or something else? So in, in our space, it's definitely what you said. It's a mix of all of the above. We are an agency that specializes in a very particular segment of the population, financial services, asset management, but we offer a whole suite of services. So we can really create any sort of campaign for a client. But I would say that our key areas of focus are public relations, content marketing, and web development. And those are really the three things that I found in my career can be the most impactful for firms, whether it's a small boutique asset management firm, whether it's a Fortune 500 company that we work with. Content marketing in particular has really been in vogue for the last few years, especially because so many firms are trying to make their websites a destination and content marketing can help propel traffic to that website. So that's where the content marketing part comes in. In terms of public relations, this is really honestly my favorite piece. And maybe it's because this is where I started my career. But What's so interesting about media relations or public relations, as we call it, is that you're getting this third-party credibility from the press. And it's a kind of credibility that you can't buy with an advertisement and you can't buy with a sponsorship. So I think there's something very interesting about building relationships with the financial press, whereby our clients are a good source for them. And then it's a bit of a, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. We provide clients that are good sources for reporters for their stories. And then reporters write hopefully favorable articles about our clients, about their product launches. And what I also love about PR is that it's really the best bang for your buck. So if I'm working with a client that has a limited budget and they can only do one thing, I typically steer them toward our PR services. And then the last thing we work on is a, in terms of a key area of focus is web development. Nowadays, every firm is expected to have a website in financial services in particular, sometimes that website needs to have a data feed to be compliant. So that is something that we specialize in for clients, designing, writing, coding, thinking about the user experience, thinking about the best way to make the information digestible for the client, and hopefully have prompts on the website that will download a, t- download a fact sheet or download a, a pitch deck or click here to talk to the fund manager. Web development definitely continues to be a key area of focus for us. And beyond that, you've mentioned some other things, SEO, digital marketing, advertising. These are all things that we can help with as well. But I found that the three that I mentioned earlier are, are just what's in highest demand from our clients. Good to hear. But let me push you a little bit on that web development, because I read an article recently where somebody said, look, all this discussion about SEO and how to drive people towards your website is probably a waste of time and waste of energy because people... Uh, have limited time available to them. So they spend most of their day on social media platforms. So you should rather focus on building your followers or building your presence within those platforms. Of course, you have to have a website. If somebody's doing a background check on you, it would look weird if you don't have one. And yes, you also pointed out there are some documents that you have to provide for regulatory purposes. But what do you think about that effort driving traffic toward your own website or towards your, let's say, presence within the social media platforms? 
I'm so glad you brought up social media because going back to one of the challenge questions from earlier, the issue with social media, and it's definitely, it's something that we help our clients with and our clients are definitely active on social media, but there's two main issues with it. One is the compliance aspect, right? Social media is all about being reactive and being spontaneous for the most part. And when you keep in mind that every single tweet and every LinkedIn post, every response, every image needs to be reviewed by a legal department or by a compliance department, it makes it a little bit less smooth and less seamless. And we have processes and we have ways to get around that. But I I would be lying if I said that social media is something that is a key focus of ours because of the very fact that it's something that is so gated and it is so regulated. So what I typically tell clients is, look, your competitors are on social media investors, whether they're financial advisors or the retail public, they're on social media and they're using social media tools to learn about investments, to learn about the stock market, to do their own self-directed research. But the reality is that when every quote and every tweet needs to be approved, it does somewhat slow down the process. So it is a little bit in the world of finance, social media is just unfortunately a little bit more contrived. It's not as natural as say, you know, a fashion company or, or an entertainment company that can quickly react to the world around it. So that's really where we stand on, on social media. But that being said, we are big fans of clients on Twitter and LinkedIn, particularly based on various um, studies that, that we've seen in the market. Facebook in particular is not really something that advisors are using to source for clients or to get new investing ideas. And to take it even a little bit further, if you remember from the last couple of years, this whole, the the GameStop and the Reddit traders, we've seen a huge increase in interest of retail investors going on Reddit, going on TikTok for investing advice. So that is actually something that we're working on internally to try to educate ourselves more on and to really think about placement for our clients. Because again, when it comes to things like Reddit, everything needs to be compliance approved. And people love Reddit because they can post things, they they can react to things. And so we're trying to find a way where we can keep that spontaneity, but where we keep the compliance officers happy. I see. Who are your key clients? Are these just large companies, incumbents, or also the fintechs or or both? How does that work? So it's a bit of a mix of everything because we're pretty flexible in, in the services that we provide. If we're working with a smaller boutique client, we act as more of a outsource CMO. We provide a little bit more counsel. We provide a little bit more strategy. When we work with really large clients, they tend to have very robust internal marketing teams, but maybe they don't have somebody who does the exact marketing that we do. So we'll come in as a, we'll come in as an extension of their team. So some examples of clients that we work with Allianz, we work with Bank of Montreal, we work with Putnam Investments, we work with SoFi, we work with Vanek, both in the US and, and in Europe. And then we work with a whole slew of kind of midsize boutique companies, which again, can have one or two people or a hundred or a thousand people. But we really love the ability to work with different size groups because they all, have, they all have different, they all have different needs and they all have different resources, which can make the project really exciting. So a really large company tends to have a really big team and a lot of resources, but sometimes they take longer to get through things. Whereas a smaller company is a little bit more resource and budget constrained, but they have to they, they can move very quickly and nimbly on things and are very open to creative ideas. Working with a whole range of clientele, we don't exclude anyone. Working with a whole range of clientele keeps us on our toes, keeps us constantly learning about the marketplace. In terms of the kinds of clients that we work with, we typically work with, as I mentioned earlier, exchange-traded fund providers or index providers, but we've also worked with mutual fund companies, trading and execution firms, 
financial advisors, commercial real estate, and we have represented some fintech clients in the past as well. All right, that's good to hear because my next question would be, and you you hinted at this a little bit, like what would be your priorities if you had to really uh, be on a very tight budget? What would you advise to fintechs? How can they create a robust marketing plan if they are on a tight budget? So if, if you have if you only have a limited amount of money to spend, I would suggest one thinking about outsourcing either to a freelancer or to an agency, because it can be quite expensive to have a full-time person on staff with all the benefits and whatnot and salary requirements. And so outsourcing could be a really great way to, to save some money and get the experience of a whole team. And in terms of what initiative I would focus on for a fintech company, I would really think about PR over everything else. Content would be secondary, but if we're talking about really maximizing the budget, I would really think about public relations, because there's a lot of things that, again, you, you can certainly outsource, but there's a lot of things that fintech companies can be doing on their own. Thinking about stories, thinking about a great narrative, really honing in on who they to use or to buy the end service or product. And they can. what's great about fintech is there's so many platforms now where you can publicize your service, whether they're trade publications or different social media tools. So I would really encourage a fintech client that is strapped for cash to think about a very robust and more importantly, very targeted public relations campaign. All right, understood. Now, I don't know whether this influences the decision of someone whether to build a B2C or B2B fintech, right? Like a few years back, a lot of people maybe were quite ambitious and said, we're going to disrupt the world and take down the banks. And now we see that actually two thirds of the last year worldwide went into B2B fintechs. So it's something that you don't necessarily see on the front page of the major newspapers, but it's the technology that powers the banks or other companies, etc. Do you think that because it takes so much money and effort to build a B2C brand, right? Some people argue anything you want to do in B2C in the US could cost you $50 million or something. So are you better off than just going through a B2B route and trying to sell your product to JP Morgan or uh, Bank of America rather than trying to get the chunk of their clients for yourself? I think that's a great question. And typically the clients already develop the product when they come to us or they're in the middle of developing the product when they come to us. So our campaigns and, and who we target is, is very much dependent on you know, how, how the product was built and who it was built for. But if I were to get before the product development stage, I would suggest that a client really think about, to your point, the B2B space. There's few, in terms of volume, you'll have less clients, but it's a lot more targeted and I think more realistic to, to have an accomplished sale. And so if you can build a, a mini ecosystem within the B2B space, I find, that, I find that specializing in general, which typically means going the B2B route, tends to be more successful. But to your point, that being said, you're not going to necessarily get a feature story on the Wall Street Journal or in some of the other more consumer-focused publications, but that's okay because maybe a consumer is not who you want using your platform. So, so I would say that, and, and I really believe this for if somebody was asking me if they wanted to launch a marketing agency, really specializing and, and focusing in on fewer but but better clients. And so I think the B2B route for a fintech client, especially if they're solving a problem that is at the enterprise level, if they're solving a problem or they're providing a solution that obviously hasn't been done before, and they can already identify specific prospects, I find that is a lot easier than creating a product and hoping that 
everybody, let's use the American market, everybody in America is going to be interested in it. Because to your point, that means a lot of broadcast time. That means a lot of money spending on brand awareness. That means a lot of money spent on advertising. And it's a lot harder to pinpoint who your audience is when you're talking about B2C. So for that reason, uh, yeah, for that reason, I would agree that the B2B route, it's, it's a little bit more focused and, and probably leads to success a little bit faster. All right, let's see. So it's not only about being famous on the front page of a newspaper, <laughs> but it's actually about making money, right? And uh, maybe you have a little bit more privacy as well, if nobody knows you as a successful B2B entrepreneur. But uh, in any case, of course, marketing is about uh, growth, at least, uh, you know, to me, right? It's a, a tool how you can grow your business. And another way that I see that people are thinking about growing their businesses is setting up a platform. Many entrepreneurs would love to build another platform because they see heavily publicized platform successes all around the place. But of course, if you have a platform, generally the way this works is that the winner takes all, right? So how do you get there? How do you overcome a cold start problem? So the first thing I would say is, and, and I love seeing the enthusiasm from entrepreneurs who just love to be in business and love to develop product. But the first thing you have to know is, is there a demand? Is there a market for this product? Otherwise, it'd be very difficult to sell this product. And so assuming that the client or, or the company has determined who would be using this product, my suggestion to overcome a cold start problem is to focus on niche markets. Think about think about fewer and better potential clients and think about what they're reading. Where are they going for education? Where are they going to information? So find your own small ecosystem. So one way to do that is if you're a if you're a fintech platform and you're really at square one, find others in your space that you can help and one way to do that is through PR. So find the small trades in the financial in the in excuse me in in the fintech space that that speaks to your product. So an example of that could be like insurance tech, right? Or agritech. These are kind of divisions within the fintech space that we see where there's a lot of trade publications or maybe there's one reporter at a major publication that covers that space and make yourself indispensable to that reporter. Make yourself a resource and a thought leader to that reporter so that if they're ever covering the space, you're the first person that they think of. And that's going to be a lot easier for you to do than I want to be on the cover of the Wall Street Journal when that's too broad. And so I find that finding the small trades in your space, finding your ideal user base is a great place to start and business begets more business. So once you've developed a solid foundation there, then you can start thinking about branching out to others that maybe might not be so niche, or maybe there's other use cases for your product that apply to more than one audience. I think these are great ideas, frankly. So for many people to follow up on not only the entrepreneurs, but maybe content creators as well. But I also wanted to come back to what you mentioned at the very beginning about challenges in marketing and finance and maybe let's have a a little bit of a trip to the past and hopefully from this we can uh, deduce a little bit of the future as well what were the biggest changes in financial marketing over the last few years that you have witnessed and where do you think we are headed apart from i guess everything will be digital and maybe the billboards will never be uh, you know printed anymore so other obviously the entire world not just finance the entire world is moving more digital I would say that the biggest change that I've seen in the last 10 years in financial marketing is firms moving from 
stodgy to more approachable. And this is something we're seeing across the board. Definitely in the younger, more hip sort of fintech space, even in the ETF space, we're seeing it as well. I would even say in the financial advice space, the it's a, it's a bit of a cheesy tagline, but it's always not your grandfather's financial firm. And so we're moving toward, we're moving away from even from a color palette standpoint, everything used to be very gray and very gray and blue and black and white. Always always a photo of a building or always a photo of somebody shaking hands. And we've really moved away from that into we've seen brighter colors. We've seen more approachable messaging. We've seen more tongue-in-cheek imagery. So I would say the biggest shift, other than the obvious technological shifts that we're all experiencing, is the perception of financial services firms from being these cold institutions that lock your money away and keep it safe to being these more approachable, more advice, more consultative institutions. And I think that's very interesting because in this last 10-year shift, we've also seen more women investing, more people, minorities investing. And so I really think that it's been a long time coming for this more approachable perception of financial services firms who still want to be seen as credible, who still want to be seen as reliable, but it's interesting that you can be reliable and you can be credible while also being approachable and being more digestible. So back in the day, I would say 15, 20 years ago, you didn't really care if people understood the pitch book or you don't really care if people understood what was on your website. And now if people don't understand, they're going to move on to something else because People have very little mind share. People are inundated with thousands of emails every day. People are inundated with all sorts of commercials and advertisements. And so I find that if a financial services firm is too traditional and um, too standoffish, they're going to really miss out on a segment of the population that is looking for something where they feel a lot more comfortable. Right. I think this is a great observation. And I would actually add maybe a strategic perspective to it because you could see that incumbents over the past decades, you know, or hundreds of years, maybe have lost uh, touch with their end consumer, and they became product factories. Yeah. And then the fintechs came agree. in, which the, and they start with focusing on the client, focusing on the consumer. What is the pain point? And then you build everything around it. So I think this is in sync what you're saying that you could see more personal, more vivid marketing by fintechs versus the incumbents and then incumbents noticing it and maybe changing slightly and slowly to be also focused on the customer or consumers that uh, they were focused on in the 1850s when they were founded originally, potentially. So very interesting to see how this impacts the marketing and strategy and uh, the business models, of course. Now, which leads me to the last couple of questions. First, a very easy one potentially, but I'm not sure. Do you have a favorite business book or documentary or another resource which uh, could be helpful for anybody interested in marketing? I just took a digital uh, marketing course at INSEAD, which was very helpful because when I was in college, I... We had to study a big, uh, thick book by Mr. Kotler on marketing. And things have changed tremendously in uh, in all those years. So what is your favorite business book that you could recommend? So there's a couple of different resources. For people who are trying to learn about the newest tools and the newest trends in digital marketing, I, I, I find that by the time the book gets published, we've, it's already been changed. So I really rely on Google is your friend. I really rely on a lot of blogs, a lot of podcasts for the more kind of timely, ever-changing digital marketing functions like SEO and PPC, reporting, and and PR as well. So I think if you're trying to find very timely, 
up to the minute information. Google is your best friend. The Apple Store podcast is your best friend. In terms of more kind of traditional books to get a good foundation, I really enjoyed Malcolm Gladwell's The Outliers. It's, it makes a couple of interesting points. One is that no, not even rock stars or professional athletes or software billionaires or even geniuses ever make it alone. And I think that's just a really important lesson in business that even if you're like me, a sole entrepreneur, I wouldn't get to where I am without my team, without my clients, without the support of those around me. And I find that that gets lost sometimes in a very competitive business environment. So that's the first thing I would say that I found very interesting about this book or, or just something that resonates. And again, it's not even about marketing or finance, just with anyone. And then the other thing about The Outliers is there's a whole section in it where the author talks about the 10,000 hour rule. And he talks about how greatness requires an enormous amount of time. And he gives a couple of examples like the Beatles. When the Beatles first started out, they played all sorts of venues and all sorts of clubs. And they were just given a lot of stage time. And they built up those 10,000 hours. And that's how they became so good. And that's something I think about a lot because I'm 10 years in. I've been marketing ETFs for about 10 years. And I, I think about that all the time. So people say, how do, you, how do you know what to do? And I say, I've, I've built over 10,000 hours. And I always think about the Beatles on stage at a random club in Hamburg performing. And, and I think that's something that in, in a world that is so fast paced, in a world or in an industry like marketing, where people jump from job function to job function to chase the next shiny thing, I find that you see less and less people with 10,000 hours of experience. And that's, again, it's not really... It's not necessarily a marketing or a finance uh, piece of advice. I think it's just business advice. But to find people who know their craft, because it is a craft. So find people who work on their craft um, and who really immerse themselves in that and, and, and who pay attention to the changes in that. Because I find that, again, in, in a world where people just jump around from task to task and job function to job function, less and less people have these foundational experiences. So yeah, that's a book that I would recommend really to anybody. And then if you're looking for just some basics on more traditional old school advertising, which despite the speed at which the world moves and every day there's a new there's a new digital marketing trend, but I think there's some tenets of, of traditional advertising that still hold true. So there's a good book called Hegarty on Advertising where the author talks about the, the elements of advertising, how to pitch, how to think about new technologies, which at this point are probably outdated. But again, anyone new to the space, maybe somebody who doesn't have any marketing experience, either educational or, or professionally speaking, that could be another good foundational resource. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Alex. And my last question would be, what's the best way to reach out, find out more about what you and Aura Financial does? What's the most efficient way to do that? We would love to chat with them. The best way to, to do that is uh, to just send me a direct email. My email is alevis at aerocom.com. That's A-L-E-V-I-S at A-R-R-O-C-O-M-M.com. And we'd love to hear from any firm looking to get traction in front of investors, in front of the financial press, anyone looking to raise their public profile. And um, of course, we're also here as a sounding board for you know any questions they may have on how they can get ahead, how they can grow subscribers, how they can grow their assets under management. Wonderful. Thank you so much for all your time and advice and the pointers. So good luck to you, Alex and Aero Financial. Thank you so much, Rudy. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. 
You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.